0: Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique?
1: Nothing stops these people. stop. stop. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how.
2: Hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and today we are going on another mission with our unstoppable guest, Alice Tyson. Alice knows what it's like to have the rug pulled out from underneath her feet. She knows what it feels like to have a dream stolen from her, just as she's about to embrace it. She's intimate with debilitating pain and the heartache of a heartless pencil pushers who don't understand how their decisions so casually made impact her ability to pay rent, eat healthy food, and even put clothes on her back. Alice is the author of Riding on Faith, Keeping Your Balance When the Wheels Fall Off, and she's also the Executive Director for His Wheels International, a ministry that has distributed, I'm sure now more, than 1,500 bikes and trikes to people in 88 countries and on six continents. Please welcome Alice Tyson. Hi, Alice.
3: Welcome. Hi there, Frankie. (laughs) <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs>
2: oh, good. I'm, I'm sure that those numbers have changed, but we'll go with those for right now. Um, Alice, in the beginning, before, you know, things happened to you, and we'll talk about all of that, uh, you were preparing for a 1,000-mile cross-country bicycle trip. You were going to go from Illinois to Delaware. And a trip that you called kind of an interview trip because it was with an organization that you hope to be working with called Wandering Wheels, uh, a Christian bike group. So tell us about all of the places that you had traveled with them, starting when you were a young girl.
3: So uh, my first trip with Wandering Wheels was when I was 15, and I went. I bicycled from Portland, Maine, to Portland, Oregon, uh, 3,600 oh. miles. In uh, 42 days, um, I'm sure your listeners can do the math. It works out to about 100 miles a day, That's and incredible. the longest was 142 miles um, wow. from Casper, from uh, Harrison, Nebraska, to Casper, Wyoming. But I'll tell you what, you'd never want to ride from east to west. Uh, I learned at 15 where the wind comes from. I learned <laughs> it the hard way, out of the west, if you were wondering um uh, then it then at sixteen I biked from um San diego to virginia beach um and that was about a thirty one hundred mile trip did it with them and then when I was seventeen, I biked England and Scotland with them with wandering wheels and then uh later I biked israel and did a Florida trip in ninety two and that's when I thought, oh I want to go and work with this company
2: well you had a passion for for bicycles but you also you were a working nurse before um you decided that you wanted to go work with
3: wandering wheels is that correct yes yes i worked in home health
2: yeah and and ever since you were a little girl you always liked the bicycle
3: yeah the bicycle i can dream about bikes I even had a bicycle dream last night. But anyways, yes, bicycles have always been a form of freedom. I've had great experiences on a bike. My book's written with bicycle analogies, um, I think, through the lens of a bicycle. Interesting.
2: Do you think that... Um this this freedom this you know is it is it the physicality of actually riding on the wheels like did you ever think of riding a motorcycle or two wheels or is it that you like the exercise part of it
3: well i have a degree also in exercise physiology so i guess you could say i also just like the physical physicality of uh hard you know, of, of accomplishment through um, sweating and um, doing something challenging. Not that riding a motorcycle it has its own challenges, um, but I, I think um, I was able to ride a bike before I was able to ever uh, sit on the back of a motorcycle. So, um, right, what wins your heart at a young age wins it, and it was a bicycle.
2: Now, you you're a twin. You have a twin brother, mm-hmm. and. I've also got twins, boy and girl, but <laughs> your, your brother gave you a bicycle necklace. He gave you a necklace with a bicycle, pendant on it, and that meant a lot to you. Mm-hmm. And
3: what did he say to you that day? So he gave it to me. It was my first piece of jewelry at 16, and he said to me uh, with the bike, he said, one day I, when I get rich, I'll buy you a bicycle store. And I looked at the bicycle shop, and I looked at him, and I thought, how do you know my heart's desire before I've even spoken it? Wow.
2: Twins. The power of twinship is my biggest <laughs> <Yes. thing.
3: laughs> It is.
2: So, you you know, we talked a, a couple of days ago, and you said something to me. You know, you said, Frankie, we have a lot in common. And here, here's one of the things that we have in common. Four days before you were to leave, before you're going to leave your job, leave for the trip, you know, that thousand mile trip with wandering wheels, uh, something happened. And eight days before I was going to do something big, something happened. So tell us about what happened on that morning, four days before you were going to leave for your trip.
3: So I woke up getting ready to go to work as a nurse and, um, uh, I ended up just being overcome with flu-type symptoms, and uh, I, everything was just sucked out of me. And my energy was just um, sucked out, and uh, I knew that something had happened, and uh, uh, I couldn't even walk to the phone without um, feeling dizzy, and so I kind of slithered um, to the phone, called my boss and just said you know I won't be in today and I can't I can't even help you out with who my patients are mm-hmm. um, and then I uh, somehow crawled to my bedroom and um, I had no idea then that that was the beginning of uh, my life being changed forever
2: did you have you ever felt like that before have you ever felt that kind of you know, just so ill and so weak, so,
3: you know, out of it? Have you ever experienced that before that day? Um, No, I had never experienced it. And I, you know, I, as a nurse, I, you know, I thought, well, uh, in my hopeful (laughs) nursing voice to myself, I thought, oh, this is just the flu. But I think deep down I knew it wasn't. yeah, yeah, because
2: I mean, it's something that you wouldn't think. You know, you think, oh, I feel like crap is probably the flu. Like, why would mm-hmm. you even go to the nth degree, right? But right. the flu, the flu didn't get better; it got worse. You know, right, quote unquote flu, and you experienced other symptoms. And um, were, did you were you able to call anybody for help? You didn't call anybody for help, I don't think, which is kind of crazy. No,
3: not it. <laughs> you know, I don't. I just figured it was the flu, and um, I didn't. I really didn't know a lot of people in my neighborhood. I kind of lived in the city, but I did everything else thirty miles away from my home. And you know, it, it's where I learned that wow, you got to be planted where you're supposed to be, and mm-hmm. because you know, you need those people around you. Um, no, it, that was a. I don't know what happened during those first two or three weeks as far as um, how I how I made it. Um, right. uh, but it's you, a blur. You, you, you got to a...
2: Pardon? It's a blur. Oh, it's a blur. I thought Ben, I thought ben said something to me there. So you, um, after, after, you know, the first few weeks, you got to a doctor. You managed to get to a doctor, and, and what did she say?
3: Oh, well, actually, I got to a doctor probably four days, five days after it happened, and she just said, you know what, these are... These are viral, flu-like symptoms. Let's, you know, let's not rush to any conclusions. A phenomenal physician, I must add. Uh, let's not rush to any conclusions. Let's, uh, let's take it slow. Go home, rest. If it's still around in a week, you know, come back in. We'll talk. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I went home. You know, hopeful that. Okay, the 24-hour flu, now four days later, was mm-hmm. still just the 24-hour flu. But uh, I would have been okay if it was a week-long flu, um, in retrospect. But, yes, um,
2: yeah. So were you <laughs> able to eat? Were you able to um,
3: – did you have any moments during the day that you felt okay? Like how? Yeah, no, I didn't feel any moments that I felt okay. But my eating never – Never was stopped. It's an unstoppable about me. I like to eat, so okay. uh, <laughs> um, so no, I I had no problems eating. But my house was kind of bare because I was Morning. prepared to what? leave for ten days. So the the um, refrigerator wasn't all that promising. How far away does your family live from you? My family uh, lived about six hour drive from wow. me. And um, you know, they were willing to help but I just kept thinking tomorrow the optimists in me thought tomorrow it will be gone, you know, by the time you get here it will be gone. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh they were willing to come and help. It wasn't an unwillingness, but I didn't know what they could do and I um Shop. sometimes when you feel that <laughs> sick you don't really even want someone around. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's you so still have I've to got, entertain. Um,
2: When when, I'm going to wait on that one, we we, we're going to go to a break in two minutes. So tell tell us about when did how long or when and how long did it take
3: for you to get a diagnosis? Well, it took nineteen seeing nineteen different specialists and nine months of lab work and blood tests and uh, sticks and probes later before a diagnosis came.
2: Wow. That's pretty incredible. And, you know, it makes you wonder why it takes the medical community and all those people so long. Is it, you know, that they're just, I don't know, are they afraid to make a diagnosis? They just couldn't figure out what you had? You know, what was it? We're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what Alice actually was suffering from. And I'm going to just, disc- I'm going to have you describe it in, in great detail because I do have a client and a friend listening to the show right now, Alice, who I believe has the same thing. And I think that your symptoms and what she is feeling um, match. And I think it would be a big relief for her to be able to go and ask her doctor, you know, is this what I have? So when we come back, which you will do just in a moment, don't go anywhere, folks. We're coming right back with Alice Tyson
1: unstoppable with coach frankie picasso will continue right after these messages stop if
4: you're ready for a big change in your work your career your happiness your life it's time for the million dollar mindset with marla tabaka monday afternoons at 2 1 central on tokenhead.com marla believes that with the right mindset anything is possible join us as successful life coach marla tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A dot com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com.
1: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond.
0: Depression is very real and prevalent. It has been said that close to 20% of Americans are likely to suffer major depression at some time. The good news is that exercise helps ease depression and is one of the best ways to fight it. Working out releases endorphins and neurotransmitters that make you feel good. It reduces immune system chemicals that can worsen depression. Exercise also has many emotional and psychological benefits. Working out is a distraction that gets your mind off of negative thoughts and depressing feelings. By focusing on your workout, you can get out of that negative cycle and concentrate on your fitness. By accomplishing exercise goals, you can boost your self-confidence. Getting in shape can make you feel better about your appearance, and that helps too. If you are battling depression, you have even more of a reason to work out. Feeling good awaits you. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
2: Okay, and we're back. You're listening to Mission Unstoppable. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is the unstoppable Alice Tyson. As you remember, Alice is the founder and executive director for His Wheels International. She's also the author of Riding on Faith, Keeping Your Balance When the Wheels Fall Off. So before we went to break, Alice, we were talking about um, how it took 19 specialists and, you know, millions of tests to figure out what you were suffering from that just came on you like boom all out of the blue tell us what it what
3: it is so i remember the doctor walking in the room and saying we have a diagnosis chronic fatigue syndrome there was Uh, an instance sorry go ahead there was an instance that i was elated and then my heart sunk i had just heard on the radio yuppie flu and I thought, who in the world would ever think to have yuppie flu?
2: Yeah. And
3: here it was. I had what they called yuppie flu or all in the head or. Um, the kind
2: of a nebulous just... catch all for. <laughs> yeah. Right?
3: It's, it's a very nebulous catch all. Right.
2: And, and, and the problem is, though, let's explain what the problem was, that you were a nurse, you know, you had a, a full-on career, and now you can't go to work. And, you, you, you know, you were thinking about leaving nursing to go into this other, you know, working with um, Wandering Wheels. But really the fact is that you had to go on short-term disability because you couldn't go to work and eventually long-term disability. And, you know… This I know from which I speak, too, because I, too, had to do that. And with a diagnosis like chronic fatigue, which they call a yuppie flu, um, they didn't really believe it was a real thing. And so it's kind of hard to get insurance to pay what you had had gotten for yourself. You had actually purchased, you know, the insurance, the right insurance, in case something ever befell you because you, you were single. And And now, you know, you're trying, like all insurance companies, you're trying to get them to pay.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. So the problem with um, chronic fatigue syndrome is they don't write it a catch all. They don't know what it is. But the word chronic fatigue is what takes majority of people into their first complaint when you go to a doctor. So mm-hmm. you say to someone, I have chronic fatigue syndrome, oh, I do too. And I mm-hmm. feel so tired. I, you know, I just ran a marathon. I feel tired. Okay, well, I feel like I've just run a marathon and I just get out of bed. Um, so, you know, it's a very different type of thing. But my symptoms were, I say that it attacked everybody's system. Mm-hmm. It was like a terrorist that attacked everybody's system, but you could not find where it uh, where it came from. And, so did uh, the, te- the
2: test actually show something
3: physical? Uh, only no? one test. Four years later, only one test has ever showed anything, and that was what was called a tilt table test. And um, it's where you lie on an um, X-ray table, totally still. They hook you up to an EKG monitor and sometimes an IV and um, then they do all the movement. So then they move you to a standing position. You're not supposed to make any movement because just the slightest movement will alter the test results. But once they stood me up into a standing position, my heart rate went from eighty to one hundred
2: and sixty in thirty seconds. Okay.
3: So anytime I stand still, I don't. I don't stand. Um, stand too often. I stand against a wall. I'm always um, kind of uh, antsy, always moving. Well, I didn't know it, but it was to kind of re-regulate my system. Um, so, so let's go so, back
2: then. Let's go back to these symptoms, the original symptoms, um,
3: erratic heartbeat. Erratic heartbeat, um, bone deep pain that uh, for a while, took um, coding The high coding with uh, anti-inflammatory intermixed for months. Um, I Did his face get all red and hot if the temperature was above a certain. If the temperature goes above sixty-eight, which took years of detective work to figure this out, but if the temperature goes above sixty-eight, my heart re- turns red. My heartbeat. Um, jumps as if it's going to jump out of my chest. I have all the symptoms of a heart attack, but it's the autonomic nervous system. Um, I, I start shaking. I feel faint. I, um, I can't think straight. Um, I have altered um, delayed reaction time. So mm-hmm. as a result... I, my peripheral vision kind of goes and I have to just use, you know, my forward vision, real focus. So it used to be that when people would bang on their horn at me and um, flip me the bird, I'd think, oh, I better just go home. I don't think I'm safe to be on the road. So it was a gift to me um, to did, let me did know. I ever, wasn't. Like, was it?
2: Did your, did your words come out wrong or anything like that? There are times like stroke that or something you know well I
3: mean? it feels feels like that. There are times when I can't figure out words, and I've got a couple of very close friends who know you know if my words start there'll be words that are very close to the right meaning but not quite there mm. um, mm-hmm. and so you know they'll know that my chronic fatigue is really bad if I can't put words together.
2: So can you imagine, I mean, you're listening to this folks. Okay. You're listening to this, listen to these symptoms. And I mean, what, what do you think? Like, this is so debilitating and yet people go, Oh, it's, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome. This is like an incredible, like, how can this not be a disease? I mean, it is a disease, but how can it just be like, it's nothing, you know, like you don't really have anything. Just go to bed, wake up tomorrow and you'll feel better. That's not what happened.
3: And how many years later are you now, Alice? 15 years um old? yeah this this week is starts the twenty fourth year nineteen ninety two mhm, and I mean so, uh, the only thing reliable about me is that I'm unreliable, yeah. and um you know, I used to be a person who wouldn't miss anything, you know, never called i mean I was taught you don't call in right. sick for sick. something, you go to it and You know, here I am, unable to work, and and I was an exercise specialist. I was a cardiac rehab nurse, and now I can't do a quarter of the exercise that I once did without having a 48- to 72-hour relapse um, where I'm in bed and have all the symptoms I've just described to you. Um, And, uh, you know, people are like, come on, you can exercise, and I'm thinking, I once wrote exercise prescriptions for those with right. chronic end stage life conditions, and I can't even figure out how to do it for myself
2: yeah, it's very it's very difficult and it, it, you know if you unless you've been through something like this um, or something similar to this, where you know, I understand that because I, I feel like exercising and when I want to exercise, I do it, but then I pay for it for the next couple of days. So right. it's kind of a, a balancing act in life. Like how, how much are you going to do? How much do you want to feel
3: better? And how much bad do you want to feel after? Well, so, and how much does your physical need versus, right. you know, the emotional, there's a piece of the emotional that, hey, I was an athlete,
2: Right. And this is where I was coming next. That's where I'm coming next because you were an athlete and you were going to, you know, start a new career that was extremely physical and, and rewarding for you. And even though, you know, you describe some of those, those trips, um, on your journeys, you know, you go, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? It was still a big accomplishment at the end and something that you could be very proud of doing. So now, you know, not only, uh, You've got the physical debilitation, but the emotional and the mental. How do you handle the depression? Because there's going to be depression. No guarantee, you know, guaranteed that you're going to feel depressed. Because life has been, you know, as you knew it, was taken away from you. It was stolen. Yeah. yeah so how did you handle And And I think they told you, too, that at a certain marker, you were going to feel a real depression.
3: Yeah, I don't I. I had been doing some counseling prior to that just to figure out where I wanted to go. And, you know, the mid-20s are a little confusing for all of us. I had just come to the point of, so this all hit me at the age of 30, and I had just come to the point of being ready to leave behind counseling. And um, I was grateful for a counselor who said, you know, I don't think this is quite the time to um, <laughs> for you to um, take off and so that was very good wise advice but the other thing is on one of my trips in Israel um i had uh my spiritual life is is what uh is my uh, strong tower mm-hmm. and that's what i what i hold on to dearly um and on my Israel trip i Remember, being, rededicating my life to the Lord in the Jordan River, and I came out and I thought, God, wherever we're going to go, I will not, I will not um, disown you again. And, and then I well, carried let me stop my. let
0: there for
2: a moment because you actually had a little bit of a crisis of faith, you know, uh, going, Do I?
3: Don't I? Will I? Won't I? And then you rededicated, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So I, I went to Israel in '88 with this— thing of thinking i'd grown up in a christian home and thinking god i don't know if you're really worth going with anymore and ironically it was then that he allowed me to go to israel and <laughs> in israel you either find them or you discard them and right. i'm grateful that it was that i found him. and i i'm and it was a jewish atheist actually who challenged my faith when he rode by and said you know you live your faith out i'm thinking oh that was the biggest insult you could have paid me right now as i'm trying to battle to know do i want to go with god or am i going to run away from him Mm -hmm. and um, i recognized, you know there was only one way and it was to go with Him. so what a great opportunity to declare that in the jordan river and rededicate my life to the lord there so, and then
2: so that, that helped you get through a lot of the
3: emotional crisis that was yeah, happening to
2: you. It, but did you ever think, Oh my gosh, God, why did you
3: do this to me? Oh, sure. Sure. I thought, you know, why me? What have I done wrong? Here I am at the crux of, you know, in some ways the crux of youth as far as mm-hmm. all the chaos of youth was over. I kind of knew where I was headed and boom, now here it is. And, you know, and then people saying, you know, if you only had enough faith, you'd be feel better. And, you know, that's a lot of chaos. That's a lot that- of crap. Listen, we're going to go to a commercial break
2: in just a few moments. But I don't think that you were ever lacking in faith. And <laughs> but but, you know, your spirituality and, and, and your love for God really has brought you through. And I'm going to uh, let folks hear about that when we come back from our from our break. It's uh, Alice is quite a story and it's a real good comeback story. And we all love those. So. <laughs> Stick around. You're not going to want to go anywhere because this is this is what her partnership brought on. And you'll find out about it in just a second.
1: Stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages.
0: Stop. It's
3: merging.
5: If you have a lot of to, or the will to win, and you have a strong desire to be a part of your favorite sports team, the National Hockey League might be for you. Did you know that if both goalies on an NHL hockey team are injured, anyone at the game is eligible to step in and play the part? Teams have resorted to using their coaches, team owners, and even their web designers to fill in for injured goalies. It's as simple as slipping into your breezers or hockey pants. The original hockey puck was made out of frozen cow dung. The fastest puck shot on record was clocked at 114 miles per hour. And I'd like to take this opportunity to send out a special thanks to the men and women of our armed forces serving our country around the world. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
1: it's Words. It's
5: heard. Researchers at Binghamton University's Department of Psychology in England believe that if you use a period while texting, it makes you appear less sincere. Hey, autocorrect alone makes my texts look like they came from a Goostrum noodle. The study goes on to say that using a period in a text conversation is an act of psychological warfare. Hyperbole, maybe, but we get the point. The same research also found that exclamation marks are more friendly and sincere than no punctuation at all. Talk Talk Mobile states that you should always match a kiss for a kiss when texting significant others as well. Fewer or more digital kisses compared to your partner can be construed as a brush-off. Would someone who is distracted by their phone while driving be considered intoxicated? I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free
2: app, Too Funny for Words. Okay, and we're back with Mission Unstoppable. I'm still here, and I'm still your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is Alice Tyson. And Alice went to Israel with Wandering Wheels. She rededicated her life to God in the Jordan River. She is back. She was going to join Wandering Wheels as an instructor and a tour guide, and then she got chronic fatigue syndrome, and we're at the point now where I've asked her, uh, you must have asked God. Why he did this to you? Why is this happening to you? And he answered you. And what
3: did he say? Yeah, so I, you know, I had made a goal while I was in Israel to, or soon after, to pray one hour a day. And here I was now. I had prayed one hour a week um, from 88 to 92. And so here I am in 92, um, numbing my mind, watching TV, the Summer Olympics, which I, hate tv i don't even own one now and i thought lord i i want my life to count whether this lasts for a day or forever and so that's when i decided to start praying an hour a day and you say well what does prayer have to do with anything well it has everything to do with my life because it gave me it was my new occupation Mm -hmm. but i have to say i thought like you did here i am lord I've got much to give and you're, you're holding me up to just pray. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, I, I, you know, I could do this, this, I'm quite a talented person. I could do a lot of other things, but it was prayer. And of course, during that prayer time, I, I cried my soul to God because this did not seem fair. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I'd already decided I was not gonna, I was, As I carried my bike up Masada, I remember saying what the Israeli cadet said, never forget, never again. And I thought, I will never forget God, never again. So it was in the light that I made a decision that now in the darkness I was going to hold on to. And I knew he was good, and I knew that these things were happening for a purpose, even though I couldn't see it at the time.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So when you prayed for an hour a day, I have to ask you because it
3: just seems so difficult to me. What? How did how did you pray? What did? Well, you did know, you first thought? I first time I did it, I pulled out my my um, supermarket list, you know, that and uh, and I just went through, you know, Lord help this person, that person, the other person, mm-hmm. and then I finished and. I realized there was only two minutes of prayer that I had done, and now I was had 58 more minutes, and I thought, oh, my, I don't really know how to pray. I stayed yeah. there, and I, you know, answered through it, and what I learned was, you know, it takes work to know how to pray. And yes. I pray with uh, my scriptures open, and um, and I, I, I read because that's the way God gives to me sometimes i sing sometimes i doodle on paper and um um there are a lot of ways there are many ways to pray As there are people different ways so
2: it's like it's like meditation then it's like there's many ways to meditate everybody does it differently and if you're new age i almost think it's it's like you know manifesting the things that you desire in your life by giving gratitude and and you know In a way, it's a prayer to wanting
3: to have these things. Yeah, and I think all those are prayers, and the question is, uh, who are we praying to? Mm -hmm. And so I pray to the Lord um, God Almighty. Um, People pray to other... um, They pray to the universe, which, you know,
2: is another name for God, really, or spirit. Um, They just don't have dogma attached to it. I Mm. think that that might be the biggest difference. So um, I want to ask you... You know, you started your prayers, and, and some great things started to happen. However, physically, what happened on that front? Did you get some medication? Did something help you
3: at all? Um,
2: what, what you know, they out? treated
3: some of my symptoms, and um, I I don't I don't know exactly why things turned you know turned upward, but they did. And so, uh, the first disability was about 10 months and then I worked my way up from 1993 to 96 re reintroducing myself to life uh, Mm -hmm. after having missed whole seasons but I um, finally was able to get up to working about mm, 24 hours a week I'd work three every other day because I needed to just crash in between right Um, and uh, and so and I was able to do a little riding, but still I always had, you know, the symptoms never completely left me. I think mm-hmm. I more uh, just was determined. I was unstoppable, and I was determined mm-hmm. that I was going to get back to work.
2: Were they able to, to um, fix your heart problems so that it didn't go into tachycardia, or were they able
3: to, um, you know, well, stabilize that took 10 it? years. That took 10 years. They made they realized there was this issue and so they blocked my heart down with what's called beta blockers Mm -hmm. that ended me up in the emergency room with the asthma attack and they blocked it down so far i mean i had been living with the heart rate pretty much at 140 you know 24 7 and so when you block it down to 60 uh, that's a little too low for someone who's for sure um so that left me in bed um could no longer live alone, moved in with a couple people, women for a year. And um, I mean, now I've lost my independence to some sort. Uh, I had always lived alone, enjoyed the freedom of that. And, um, but now, about 10 years later, uh, they've kind of, I found a physician who knew it was called post, post, posterior orthostatic. orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. That mm-hmm. means when you change positions, your heart rate um, goes uh, goes up. Mm-hmm. And um, so they see that now. They've done a lot of studies that that's kind of the most hopeful area of the studies, but it's often secondary to um, chronic fatigue syndrome.
2: I'm going to ask you a tough question. Did you ever feel like killing yourself?
3: Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, I thought there's one quote about CFS that says, you know, it ha- it takes your life, but it doesn't have the dignity to kill you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's so true. You know, I think if I had cancer, mm-hmm. I'd either be, you know, to me cancer is a very um, glamorous illness. And what I mean by that, I don't mean people who have cancer that it's easy, mm-hmm. that, uh, there's anything, you know, glamorous about it. But for everybody else, they all want to help. Oh, I'm helping someone who has cancer. I'm taking mm-hmm. them here. I'm taking them there, bringing them a meal. Um, and, you know, then cancer, either you recover from it or mm-hmm. it takes your life. Mm-hmm. But this, you don't recover from it and it doesn't take your life. Right. It takes your and dignity, it, takes everything yeah. else, but it doesn't take your life. Okay, so let's get on to the good stuff. Let's get on to the
2: good <laughs> news. So, you started praying an hour a day, and some miraculous things started to happen for you.
0: Tell mm-hmm. us how it all
2: unfolded, Alice.
3: So, at the lowest point, you think that's the lowest, but it did get a little lower in that I lost my disability insurance. But right after that, um, I was a couple from my church invited me over, this was 2003, for dinner with a tanzanian couple and um i got to talking with them and afterwards i felt the lord prodding me to invite them over but i thought god i don't have anything to offer them so i thought for about three months every day the amplitude of that suggestion got louder finally days before they were headed back to tanzania i said hey what are you doing tonight could you come over for dinner and they came over and um they um i just said to them you know, you've been at our church, uh, you've seen kind of these short-term mission trips that we take around the world, would they help you or what would help your ministry? And unbeknownst to them about my love for cycling, they said, if every family in the church gave a gift of $100, each $100 gift would buy a bicycle and allow a pastor, evangelist, a healthcare worker, a student, AIDS, person struggling with AIDS to ride six hour walking distance to where they had to be in you know much shorter time so they could get the help or give the help that they were um were wanting to give Mm -hmm. and so um that's all i heard of the conversation because you're a (laughs) bicycle because my bicycles flooded my mind and um so um uh, after they left, I went to prayer and I thought, "Well, Lord, you know, I could give a hundred dollars. That would be nice. Buy a bike, and um, God and I grappled, and He won, and I did too. I gave twelve hundred dollars, the cost now, let's of the say bike. That you have a bike that was a twelve hundred dollar bike that He wanted you to give up, right? So I I gave twelve hundred dollars, the cost of the bike that I had bought to go lead these cross country trips back mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety two. But at the time. I'm sorry. And what? Money that you
2: did not have.
3: Right. I was you were, only did you, what, making. Were you making
2: like, did you get like $450? $50 a month. A month. Something? Yeah. Early? I
3: was making $450 a month working, a month. doing secretarial <gasps> work in an office. And I didn't know where, you know, if I'd ever make more. Um, my, I just lost my long term disability. And um, I. I prayed, and the Lord challenged me I to give twelve hundred. Because,
2: because this is very important,
3: okay? So she made four hundred and fifty dollars a
2: month. <clears throat> she lost her long-term disability. God asked her to give up twelve hundred dollars. She didn't know when her next meal, rent, food—nothing was coming from—and she gave up this money.
3: Well, I did take that out of the bank, so I did have a little in the bank. So I took it out of the bank, but still, all those things you are know, true. That's security. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: That's right, right. That's
3: security, <laughs> right? And of course, I didn't tell anybody I'd done that because the line of of counsel would have gone yeah, around yeah. the block a few She's times. Cuckoo. Okay, put her away. Yep. So I um, gave it, and when I got home after giving, and I'd gone to give it to them, there was a um, note in my mailbox from uh, a cousin who I had helped out financially and she had written um thanks for your help in our time of need we'd now like to help you and there was a check and on my phone message was a pastor at my church who had heard about the rough year 2003 was financially and said we would like to help you and so they paid the next six the only bill i had due which was the next six month car insurance and then a family another family member uh uh, actually, my mother had said, "You know, we we would like to help you uh, with uh, just something for your physical for physical care, and um, would you accept this gift?" So by the end of the t- that week, I had brought in fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, we went to a break.
2: <laughs> I didn't see that. Stop
5: never heard. Laughter was such good medicine, ancient Greek physicians sent their patients to visit comedians to be healed. In the 1300s, surgeon Henry D. Mondeville used to tell jokes to his patients in the recovery room. Dr. Mondeville must have been a bit of a Witzel such. That's a person who tells jokes and no one ever laughs. We laugh six times more when in the company of another person than we do by ourselves and 30 times more when we are in a group. Laughter isn't under our conscious control. If you've ever started caconating at school, in church, or at a funeral, you know what I'm talking about. Caconating is another word for uncontrollable laughter. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never
0: heard vocabulary with my free app to Funny for Words.
1: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
0: It's a fact that working out for 30 minutes a day will improve your health and make you feel oh so good. But if you are on a quest to lose weight, you should be looking to exercise aerobically for 45 minutes to an hour. I know that may sound daunting, but it's really not. You don't have to kill yourself to keep your heart rate up for 45 to 60 minutes. I know people who put their iPod on and walk for an hour a day. Consequently, they are losing weight, increasing their energy, and feeling great. On the other hand, if you're like me and want to maintain your present weight, then 30 minutes of cardio a day is perfect. The benefits of cardio exercise are fast, and even if you're not trying to lose weight, it is necessary and vital to your health. So schedule in your cardio exercise six to seven days a week and watch your health, energy, and outlook on life improve. I'm Annette Hammond.
2: Okay, and we're back. And I did not let you know about that commercial break that we just had. I apologize for that. But you're still here. I know that you stuck around, and I'm really happy that you did because we have a free download for you. Alice's book, Riding on Faith, is available for free today and tomorrow. You can go to Amazon.com and download it right now. How exciting is that? Go, you can also go to her website, www.hiswheels.org. Go there, check out more stuff about her. Alice, before we went to break, was told you that she gave up $1,200 of her own money and within the end of that week had received back $1,500 worth uh, you know, of services and money to her. How fantastic was that? So the hits just keep on coming now. Alice, the more you pray... Things started happening. happen, the more people you begin to meet, and something big happened. Tell us how, what happened.
3: So the next year I gave, <clears throat> I thought, oh, I'll give away 100 bikes in my lifetime. The next year, only making 12, uh, still for making $450 a month, I gave away um, five bikes and five hand-pedaled trikes um, through a missionary in Nigeria, when the pictures came back of a hand-pedaled trike where um, those are for people with landmines, polio, or other disabilities who mm-hmm. who usually walk with flip-flops on their hands crawling along the ground, um, mm-hmm. now they could be upright um, pedaling with their hands. Those pictures um, impact – people who saw them said, wow – And one of my uh, mentors said, you must start this as an organization. So we began His Wheels International in May of 2005 with a goal to distribute two-wheeled bikes in Africa because that was the area that I was first most interested in. And so um, our our first project was... We got four bicycles that we uh, found in the area onto a container going to Angola for educators. So we rehabbed the four bikes. They were old Schwinn bikes, single or three speeds, and we got them onto this container. Well, simultaneously, while we were working on bikes, um, four months later, I went to a meeting, and Ethiopian leaders were Um, talking about how they could partner with people in America and help those in Ethiopia. And it was a business meeting. There was a guy saying, oh, I'll build a sports arena and I'll build a dental clinic and a medical clinic. This guy kept coming back to this hand-pedaled trike. He said, we need these throughout Africa. So I thought, wow. Um, If I could take a welding class, Mm -hmm. I could build a trike, now, forgive me, engineers. I uh, a dream is something that must be reckoned with. I didn't think about the fact you need engineering skills and all of that, <laughs> and never mind that I couldn't have even with. Taken in the smell of welding gas. But
2: you did love to put bikes together. You were good at that. You you knew how to do that from before. Yeah. You, know, you, you were able to fix bikes and take them apart and put them together. Mm-hmm. And that was one of your skill sets. So, yeah. so now
3: you're looking at welding and yeah. keep going. I'm thinking, Mind hey, things? that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. So a month later, I was at a party um, and someone said, oh, you got to talk to this guy. He just walked in. He lived there uh, he was kind of introvert. He could care less to talk to anybody. And I showed him the pictures. And within a week, he he said to me, within five minutes, "I'm a mechanical engineer. Can I design, build, and pay for a hand pedal trike prototype?" Well, now uh, fast forward many years later, and we—he has now designed 22 hand pedaled trikes. We've gone. To four small production runs of them. He's also even designed a um, manufacturing fixturing. So they have, our hand pedal trikes have been um, built or manufactured in two in North Africa, India, and then we sent kits of 15 of them to a hospital in Ethiopia where they welded them together. So we have a hundred. We have a hundred and over a hundred and ten of our trikes uh, on five well continents. let me go, let me let me go back because I think you're
2: missing out a whole bunch of really cool stuff first of all, um, y- you got a couple of people together and you became a board and mm-hmm. that board knew people and they brought more people and you came to realize through your disability that you needed uh, you know you needed to have people help you couldn 't do all of this on your own you had to give up you know the micromanaging and and just allow people to do what they do best so that you could do what you do best. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so this organization grew and the people in it grew and, you know, you got just the right people for just the right jobs and people started to bring you bikes, bikes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you were repairing bikes and bringing bikes. And all of a sudden, you know, you had like a hundred bikes sitting around your house. You go, well, this isn't going to work out too well. Somebody volunteered an airplane hanger. Somebody volunteered this and you're just, you know, the prayers continue and, the you know the hits continue to the miracles continue uh, to happen for you and His Wheels International has grown as we said at the beginning of the show. Um, you have already given out like fifteen hundred
3: bikes. We've bikes. given out seventeen by two thousand and thirteen. We had given out uh, seventeen hundred bikes, um, and for the first five years we did it all in my backyard. And one day I was home praying very early on for a secretary. I never got my secretary, but it got a knock on the door from a guy who said, hey, are you throwing this junk away at your curb? And I'm thinking, yeah, but you're in this bicycle kit riding an $8,000 bike. You don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. Then he noticed the the rack on my car, and he said, oh, do you like cycling? I said, yeah, I just started a cycling ministry. He said, oh, no way. I just went on disability. I was a fireman. Uh, I went to Bicycle Mechanic School six years ago. Can I just come over twice a week and work on bikes? And so for uh, all those years from 2005 to 13, he came over twice a week and worked on bikes. I knew a little bike knowledge. I knew how to fix one type of bike. But do you mm-hmm. have any idea how many bikes there are out there?
2: I and you know what I think is really cool on your website? You've, you know, when you sign up for your website, you can go on and you can see the architectural plans of the different models of her bikes. And that's really cool. That's very generous of you to put that up there. Um, I'm I'm pushing us because we're going to come to the end very soon. I want, you know, so His Wheels International is big time. And let me reiterate one more time, Alice's book, Writing on Faith, is now available for free for the next two days, today and tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the show. Only those who are listening are going to get this right now, so because uh, we're putting it out there. So go to Amazon.com, download your free book. Go to HisWheelsInternational.org and check out her site and all the other special things that you're doing. Alice, I want to bring up that your next big project is Pray 10K.
3: Yeah, so I'm I'm working um, over halfway through the um, second round of my book, Pray 10K, How the Radical Can Become Real, a 10,000-hour prayer adventure. That began back in 1988, and uh, I'm now uh, into my second prayer, 10,000-prayer adventure about um Four thousand hours of it so um really prayer is the is the oil that has lubed uh, the whole organizational chain um and has lubed my life and has given my life a purpose that is way beyond what i could ever have accomplished with uh, alone health or no health so
2: given this disability that you have now when you look out 20 some odd years later and see, you know, what you have accomplished and what, you know, your partner God has accomplished with you. What, you know, what do you think? Why did I get this? Has it been answered?
3: Yeah. You know, I think now I realize that I, instead of biking on all these continents um, mm-hmm. and having people someday say to me, Hey, I waved with you, at you when you passed. They can now say to me someday if we meet in heaven, Hey, You gave me hope and you allowed me to fulfill my dream. So I have been kind of part of helping other as my dream has been fulfilled, that it was beyond me of bikes, the world, my love for God. And now it has also helped other people reach their dreams, reach their goals.
2: So what was the purpose of the Pray 10K?
3: You know, it came off of, Malcolm Gladwell book, um, Mm -hmm. you know, takes 10,000 hours to make a prodigy, Mm -hmm. and I thought, what kind of prodigy do I want to become? Well, the truth is you never become a prayer prodigy, but I thought if there's anything I want to become a prodigy of or want to know more about, it's prayer. And so I I, again it wasn't necessarily what I would have chosen because it seemed daunting but it was what I felt nudged inside by the Lord to do to mm-hmm. take up that challenge So
2: do you is your you feel that like your life is is rich and full and full of adventure for you now
3: yeah you know it's funny it's full of adventure it goes all over the world it goes to Canada you know through telephone wires. But mm-hmm. most of it happens as I sit in my living room. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've seen vistas and I've um, impacted people around the world. Um, I'm coaching right now someone who's starting an organization in Uganda, but I'm doing it all via Internet. So, um, yeah, we've gone, you know, in one day it can be in doing something in Pakistan, something in Africa, something at a college in uh, Pennsylvania, all from my living room. For sure. So
2: what goals do you have for the future? Do you want to go to these places? Can you go to these places? Does
3: it interest you? (laughs) Well, you know, I think uh, there was a um, psychologist who said it well, You can know the difference between someone who has depression or chronic fatigue syndrome because with depression, they can't think to make a list of what they'd want to do. But Mm -hmm. ask a chronic fatigue person what they'd want to do, and their list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'd love to go. I'd love to get on a plane and go visit every place that we have a trike on the five continents. I'd... uh, I'd love to continue to fulfill my bike dream. I one day wanted to bike on all seven continents through all 50 states. I've done four continents in 30 states. I'd love to finish that. Um, I, 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 the dreams continue, but the, the truth is the dreams that I'm able to fulfill now are way beyond um, the little ones that I could dream
2: Wow, Alice, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being my guest today. We've, we're out of time, folks. You've listened to Alice Tyson, and it's T-E-I-S-A-N. Go get her book, please, for free for the next two days, Riding on Faith. Again, her website is www.hiswheelsinternational.org. Alice, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much. And thank you, Frankie. I really, I really hope that the, uh, you continue to grow and bless more people. It's really exciting stuff.
0: Don't stop.
1: When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember Don't,
2: don't, Don't stop.